0: Romans chapter uh, 5 this evening, if you would stand with me as we pay honor to the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 5, verse 18, this is God's word to his people. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in. Helps if your pages don't stick together. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is God's word to us, and we thank him for keeping it. Let's pray together this evening. Father, we come before you tonight, and I don't know that we could have sung two better songs to lead into our sermon tonight, confessing that unless your spirit moves in this place, everything else will be futile. I think we forget that a lot of times, God. We are trying to win a world to you without you. We say we know the gospel. We say we believe the gospel, but we don't operate and walk in the spirit. not asking for the spirit to move. So, Father, we ask that you would move through the preaching of your word and through, through your spirit to convict us of areas where we need to change, change and be more like you. And then, Father, we also are, are mindful tonight that you will reign forever. And if we don't uh, confess you as Lord, we will spend an eternity separated from you. So be with us tonight as we venture into your word. And then, Father, we do pray for our friends. Uh, We do pray for our hurting friends tonight. Uh, We do think of uh, the college ministry at Cherry Street Baptist Church uh, under the direction of Kevin Adams uh, who who lost his mom tragically uh, this week uh, in a in a car accident and so we ask that you would comfort that body of believers that you would be with uh, them be with uh, Kevin his brother Jason and and their dad Ray father we do ask that you would comfort them and we are mindful tonight father that eternity is just a heartbeat away a breath away and so Help us as we think about this particular text tonight uh, to be mindful of even that truth. So help us to see rightly what your word has to say. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, The decreasing amount of hope screams to the world that we have been made for more. Let me say that again. The decreasing amount of hope screams to the world that we have been made for more. More, When we talk to people, especially this particular year, there seems to be much despair on and in the lives of people. If we're not careful, though, we try to see uh, them rescued by other means. Come to the end of this series and talk about being rescued. We are living in a world that constantly is offering you ways to be rescued that ultimately don't rescue you. And the Christian church is pretty good at doing this, too. Uh, The Christian church is pretty good about telling you, hey, um, believe in Jesus, but your life is less meaningful if X doesn't happen. I mean, some of you are nervous because the holidays are right around the corner. And that means going home to another family meeting, another family dinner, another family gathering where you sit at a table and some random aunt or uncle that you see two times a year wants to know why you're not dating someone. Like, Gee, I don't know, Greg. Like, why don't you leave me alone? Every year I, pr- I prep myself for the inevitable conversation that will come sometime normally mid-December or mid-January when a student returns to tell me how it's so discouraging to be at home with a Christian family and the only thing that they seem to be able to talk about at the gathering is their lack of having a mate. Because to be a Christian and to be single is to be a second class citizen. That is a false hope. And you chuckle and you laugh, but let's be real honest here. We live in an environment, in a world a Christian environment, a world that says if you don't have X, then you are not right. I I joked with Jimmy, right? Everybody was really concerned because I made a joke about Jimmy not being in school. That's another means of how the Christian church tells people that you're a second class. College ministry is only for kids who go to college, right? As if somehow you're more or less right with the Lord because you have managed to uh, throw yourself thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. For what? For a lot of you to go to an environment every day where you're constantly challenged in everything that you believe. As if that's some badge of courage or honor. 80% of college students who enter uh, the collegiate world that faithfully attend, attended their youth group, 80% of them, by the time their third semester of college is over, will no longer be attending a local church at all somehow college is supposed to be the thing that rescues us from the despair in our world? Explain to me how that works. Here's the deal. Every stage of life is different, and you will find yourself constantly being told by everybody and their third cousin what is necessary for you to be rescued from the despair that creeps into your heart. The, The problem with that is when we take our eyes off of Christ, we begin to elevate things that ultimately will never be able to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart, and we will feel even more despair. You want proof of this? Read reports at universities that have bell towers that have to be closed and shut down during finals week. Because year after year after year after year after year, a college student will go up into that bell tower thinking that they have lost all hope and launched themselves into eternity. And guess what? 90% of the time when that happens, it's not the C-plus student or the kid who's flunking out of school that is doing it. It's the kid who's getting straight A's. It's the kid that everybody gathers around the casket and says, he was so bright, she was so bright, they had so much promise. Why? Because they reach a level of desperation, and they think the only way out, the only way they can be rescued from the pressure that they feel is to end it. We see this happen in ministry all the time. It's become more prevalent. Pastors stepping on landmines. Why? Because it's the easiest way out. I can't handle the pressure anymore talked to a student pastor this week. Asked him how the student ministry was doing. I'm supposed to go do an event for them in November. Don't know if it will happen yet, still. And I asked him, and I could tell. He was discouraged. And I just tried to encourage him. I said, look, we're in the same boat, too. I feel like we're holding the college ministry together with baling uh, baling wire and duct tape. We can't do what we normally do. And then I, I, I got off the phone, and, and this is what was crazy. I got off the phone, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm driving to a dentist appointment, just where everybody wants to go. Uh, and I'm thinking, why am I despairing? We're gathering on Wednesdays and Sundays as if that's not sufficient enough. Because we in the Christian church look to be rescued by other things. got to be rescued by a meal afterwards. There's nothing wrong with a meal afterwards. you rescued by a party at the pastor's. There's nothing wrong with party at the pastor's. you rescued by a retreat. There's nothing wrong with retreats. But when those become the focus of how we're going to deal with the difficulties of our lives rather than Jesus Christ, and that's what's going to rescue us from the pit of despair we find ourselves in from time to time. Oh, heaven help us. We are headed down a dangerous path. And so we, we come to the end of Romans chapter 5, and we begging to know, how can I be rescued? What is necessary to be rescued? Everything's alluding to it. Paul, will you tell us how we can be rescued. And there are a lot of people, and I know this because I was and still am this person, who I will make assumptions about biblical texts because I think I already know this stuff. In other words, oh, how do I, how am I rescued? By Jesus. Yet I'll sit and I'll ignore a sermon or a teaching or someone coming and talking to me in my office because I think I already know something, when in reality God is sending these words to me to remind me of the truth that is contained in his word so that I might live in light of them. The danger sometimes for the Christian church, for the college ministry of Crossway Baptist Church, for you sitting in your chair, is that you presume to know it all but you functionally don't live in light of that knowledge. And that is deadly. Remember, there's a difference, right, between wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says the beginning of wisdom is a healthy fear of the Lord. So with that, let's look three different ways how we can see this happening, that we can be rescued. First, there is a righteous reversal. Look at verse 18. Therefore. So, Paul, right? This is Bible Study 101. We see the word therefore. We ask, what is it therefore? Well, it's linking verses 18 to 21 to everything that has come before it in the chapter. And Paul is saying, in, in light of everything we've read up to this point, in light of everything that we've talked about, this is how we should then live. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so. One act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Remember, Paul alludes to, right? Verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam, but who was a type of the one who was to come. Paul alludes to this need for a second Adam. And this righteous reversal must take place. Somebody who's not like us must step in and take our place. Because here's what we find ourselves in. This is the situation. One trespass, Adam's trespass, led to the condemnation for all men. So that one act, I would say even at some level, that one act of inactivity, right? Genesis chapter 3, they're standing in the garden. There's no evidence in the biblical text that Adam is hailed by Eve like, oh, Adam, come eat this fruit. He's standing there, and in his failure to lead and Properly direct his family and step up and be the man of God that he's been commissioned to be. By his inactivity. Which is really weird to think of it. His act of inactivity. What ends up happening. Is sin is ent- is ushered into the world. And just be like in that one trespass. Led to condemnation for all of humanity. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That death, that burial, that resurrection. This righteous reversal, this one who's not like us. Jesus provides this reversal by coming to earth and living the life we could not live. And reverses the the scene, if you will. But notice how he comes. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus comes in the form of a servant and takes on the likeness of a man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbles himself and becomes obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So he he doesn't come in God form. Right. We're, We're getting ready for Christmas. Some of you who I'm going to just boldly suggest tonight potentially are not right with the Lord, who have already begun listening to Christmas music. It's October, y'all. Like, just calm down. PSL is here. Listen to a little classical music or something. But ain't no reason why nobody needs me listening to no Christmas music in October. I mean, it's just not necessary. <laughs> There's a one point where we get an amen. So, hey, we'll take them where we can get them. Um, Christmas is right around the corner, and how does Jesus show up on the scene? How do we want Jesus to show up on the scene? We want Jesus to show up on the scene the way we show up, We would want to show up on the scene. If you ever have this thought process? And don't act like you don't. If I were God, I wouldn't come like a baby. I, I wouldn't come and be born and put in a, a manger. That's not how I roll. We're... we're I'm coming in, like, everybody's going to know I'm the king. You're like, life is built around the Lion King. You can't wait to be king, and you can't wait for everybody to know that you're king, and you're just like, hey, like, this is who I am. Look at me. Jesus doesn't come in that way. He comes in humbly, taking on the form of a servant, and serves, and goes willingly, and lives a life that we cannot live. And this reversal takes place. This reversal is necessary for any type of rescue to be available. The the promised hope of this in the Old Testament, the hope and the promise that this reversal would take place is what got Abraham through his life. Moses through his. The faith in the one who was to come. Isaiah goes and preaches everywhere. Nobody listens. This is the ultimate student ministry with adults. Actually, it's just probably a normal Baptist church. Is Isaiah going from church to church to church, nobody listening, nobody repenting, nobody turning, nobody believing. Jeremiah comes after him. Is told by God go in here, tear it up, things will turn. Jeremiah goes, and things do turn. On him, he gets beat up in each and every place that he goes. You read through the Old Testament, it's a wild ride. Full of prophets, priests, and kings, all of who never add up to this reversal that needs to take place. And Paul tells us this reversal does take place through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But it's not just the reversal. It's not just the death, burial, and resurrection that is necessary for rescue to be, a, be available. There's something else that has to happen, which leads us to thought number two. Active obedience is required. We don't talk about this very much think because we're so pumped about the resurrection and rightfully so the grave is empty. The tomb is empty. He's not here. He is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lays. And we're all like in church with like the confetti can. Like, it's like, yes, the empty tomb. Hey, I'm all about celebrating that. But here's what Paul tells us. There is a bunch of activity that has to precede the empty tomb for the empty tomb to be at ever present, hopeful reality. Look at verse number 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus Christ in his active obedience, following the law, keeping the commands of God, living a righteous and perfect life is what's necessary for the cross to even take place. We're in a hurry to be rescued, and I understand why. If you really understand the plight of humanity, the sinfulness of your own heart, you're, you're, you're like, I want to be rescued now. And I get that. But without Jesus, Jesus Christ's active obedience to the Father, following him completely perfectly, doing all that is commanded, keeping every letter of the law, Without doing that, it's not possible for him to be the sacrifice that we need. The reversal can only take place provided he's obedient. This is the, the new theme song of our home right now. With Harper, like, focusing on obedience. And I'm now understanding why in the Old Testament, the Lord swallows up people like, we're done. She's like, say it uh, over and over again. And we've only been at this a year and a half. And really, she's only been moving here recently. But if I'm honest, like, I'm the same way with you guys. And there's just times where I'm like, you know, it would be really encouraging one night if, like, We'll just separate the, the ones who are not obedient and the ones who are obedient. And then the Lord just kind of goes OT wrath over here and leaves the righteous over here. Because in my flesh, I have no patience for people who are disobedient. And neither do you. Except when it comes to you being disobedient and God being patient with you. Then you're like, hey, I'm all over that. Long suffering, right? Patient, kind. Nothing. I like that God. I want that guy. Jesus models for us, though. He he models for and accomplishes something that none of us can ever do. That's lived perfectly. I know some of you think that you're, you know, on it. Some of you you think you're on it because your mom tells you that you're on it. Your mom is misguided. you think, I'm, you know, and this is the number one thing. If you go out and share the gospel, you talk to people and you talk to them about why you, you would become a Christ follower, well, well, the majority of people tell you, well, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty decent person. Oh, my. Like, yeah, but have you kept 613 Old Testament laws perfectly? Like, have you navigated having stepbrothers and stepsisters who are sinful? I think the most, one of the most striking things is James becomes a follower of Christ. We read this in the book of James. We, we, we find out that James, I have a full brother, not even a half brother. I have a full brother. I never met that guy was good at anything ever, let alone the savior of the world. And James is like, I'm all in. You have to think it's challenging for Jesus to live in active obedience with, a, with siblings who are not perfect. Pressure that he has to feel at times, and the pressure that James probably felt at times. Why can't you be more like Jesus? Yeah. Sorry, Mom. Not wasn't born, conceived of the Holy Spirit, perfect, uh, fully and truly God. You have to cut me some slack. You have to think about appropriate parenting in that home had to be difficult. You never get onto Jesus because he's God. I, I, I've been more and more encouraged probably because they say, and I agree, that the older that you get, the more aware you are of your own sinfulness. The more aware you are of your own ability to, I don't know, let's just do something that probably was too far this evening. Slip in and make a really funny joke at the expense of somebody else. So, here I am aware of my own sinfulness and the way that I don't add up and the way that I fall short and the way that I don't measure up. And I'm aware of the, in the, the voices that are constantly conflicting inside of my head that are telling me to despair and to give up and to lose all hope. If I don't have somebody who's supremely different than me, how do I have any hope of being rescued from this world? If one of you is responsible for rescuing me from this world? Just forget it. I'm out on this Christianity thing. Think about it. Odds are you're probably sitting next to someone who you're relatively close to. Don't say anything out loud, but think in your head, if they were responsible for saving you from your sins, are you in trouble or are things okay? And if you're a person right now who thinks I think things are okay, you need this sermon more than anybody else because there's no one sitting in this room that even comes close to measuring up to who Jesus Christ is right now. He- here's the deal. This act of obedience is like a pressure release valve on your life. When you're tempted to sin, you can run to Jesus because he's been tempted in every way like you have been, but didn't sin. Instead of looking to yourself for hope, instead of running to your own thoughts, your own ways, your own pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, the release vow says run to Jesus. Because here's the good news. And it's our third and final thought. Grace abound. Grace abounding. Look at verses 20 and 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that if if you love English at all, you love great little clauses like this. So that, in order that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All of your sins, covered. All of your sins, past, present, and future, covered. All of them, taken care of by grace that exists because of someone being active in their obedience to God and reversing the narrative. The hope of heaven is available to you tonight because Jesus Christ covers you with grace. I'm a history nerd. I can't help it. It's 1520, 500 years and a theologian is about to go to trial because he had the audacity to say God's word is what tells me what's right and wrong about what it means to live for him and he's going to go to a trial in Germany And he's going to stand in front of a council and that council is going to say to him, recant, confess that you're wrong, get on the right side of history and align yourself with the church. And as only this theologian can do. Stands up. And says. My conscience. Is held captive by the word of God. Here I stand, I can do no other. And like the great theologian's queen said, thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening, the Reformation sweeps through Europe. I, I'm very, very, very very concerned that the Christian church is going to miss its opportunity to watch as thunderbolts and lightning flash down from heaven as a new generation of Christians, young ones ones that know no fear ones that are held captive by God's word say Grace abounds. Grace abounds. But we're going to miss it. Because we're distracted. We're distracted. And what's amazing is, how can we be distracted? This is what I'm asking myself. How can I be distracted from this message? Everything that I have, that I enjoy, has been stripped away from me. And yet, like the human heart, Calvin says, is a, idol factory where old idols are pulled away new idols spring up but some of you are sitting in here tonight and the threat is not that you're going to be distracted the threat is that you're going to miss the thing altogether because you've never been rescued from the life that you're currently living And you can't seem to figure out why nothing ever fills the void. You live for pleasure, it doesn't work out. live for money, it doesn't work out. It's never satisfying. You keep coming back to yourself. And I'm telling you, the reason why is because I just want to go back and say what I said at the beginning. The decreasing amount of hope that you are currently experiencing is because your heart screams that you have been made for more. And you have been. But you have to be rescued from yourself and rescued from your sinfulness if you ever have any hope of living a life that feels fulfilled. And it's simple, but at the same time, difficult. You have to accept your condition as a sinner. We used to say you have to admit. I think there are plenty of people who admit that they're messed up. There are a lot less people who are willing to accept that they are actually a sinner. You have to believe in Christ. And then I I just say it this way, you have to call on him to rescue you. You have to call on, Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, he will save you. For some of us tonight, who have walked with Christ for some time, our great need is to be reminded of how we were rescued. For others of us tonight who are sitting in the room who don't know Christ, your great need tonight is to be rescued tonight. Psalms tells us today is the acceptable day of salvation. There's no reason why you would need to put off coming to know Christ. There's also no reason why you would ever need to put off celebrating what Christ has done for you. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to, uh, to the best of our ability, with our masks on, as much as pleases God, because he's glorified, even when we sing our guts out with our masks on, we're going to lift our voices in one and thank him for what he has done for us. Let's pray.